Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. Welcome back to The Joe Mobley Show. I am Joe Mobley, your host. If I'm new to you, you're new to me. Welcome. Thanks so much for joining us on The Joe Mobley Show. Here we talk about tons and tons of topics, cultural topics, news, events, items in the culture war. We talk a lot about freedom and faith. Uh, I call it coming out of the conservative closet. And guys, to come out, you got to be willing to share your thoughts, your opinions, and your beliefs, no matter the circumstances. So tonight's guest is an awesome guest. I'm really excited for you guys to get to know him, hear some of the story, hear some of what him and his organization are doing. Uh, all that more, and it all starts right now. All right, so tonight we've got Neil Mammon uh, with Every Black Life Matters. Neil, how are you doing, good sir? Good, thank you, thank you. I'm I'm here in my car because uh, we're at a rally here against our county super uh, health officer in Santa Clara. Her name is Dr. Sarah Cody. Uh, you can take the doctor with a grain of salt. She was the <laughs> one that shut down the entire Santa Clara County on really false pretenses, and she's the one that issued our church four million dollars in fines. Four million. We're the finest church in the world because we have four million dollars in fines because our pastor refused to shut down our church. Um, and so we are here protesting her. Uh, she's supposed to receive some sort of award, so we're giving her a different kind of award. So thank you for oh, having man. me. But uh, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> hey, thanks for thanks for joining, uh, and thanks for doing the work. So many people, you know. And if you're listening to this, you're you're kind of curious about cultural issues. Maybe you're just getting into it. I was that way just a few years ago. I'm sure Neil was that way at some point. Get out and do something, you know, knock doors, get petition signatures. Um, it's super awkward to go to these board meetings, these council, board of supervisors, school board, whatever you've got in your local situation. Go out and say, hey, this is me. We're, we're watching what you're doing. Uh, it makes a difference. It made a difference here in Loudoun County. Uh, with all the school board stuff and, and yep. Loudoun County is a huge reason and parents, uh, parents' rights, child safety and education efficacy uh, was hugely determinative in the Virginia gubernatorial race. Uh, so, hey, thanks for being in your car because you're at a rally. <laughs> I just got back from a candidate forum because there were about 100 people running for Congress in Virginia's 10th. Uh, oh, wow. So. <laughs> So, yeah. Well, it's probably very energized now, right? Yeah, it was, hey, great candidates. Um, great, great candidates. Everyone did a good showing. I'll be interviewing a few of them. Uh, so if you're in Virginia, uh, that that primary 
uh, vote is May 21. So today is uh, April 21. So we are, you know, a month away. Figure out who you're going to vote for. We do rank uh, the rank choice ordered voting. So you can do one through 10. There are no great way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I think there are nine or 10 candidates um, and apologies candidates. If you weren't there tonight, I guess I'm not. Oh, actually I know about two or three that weren't there. So there are about 13 people uh, running, Um, read their websites, listen to their interviews, chat with them. If you can, they're making a lot of public appearances and just make informed decisions, Uh, vote your conscience and you'll always be fine uh, with the man or woman in the mirror. Um, that was a total well, the other segue. Is, I'm, uh, I'm assuming that you guys have some sort of voter guide. We always issue a voter guide every um, every election year. We work with a few other groups and we combine there. So um, the, a voter guide is always very useful because that way, if you don't have the time to do the research, there are Christians who will are happy to do the research. Yeah, there are several voter guides out there. I think the one that I'm supposed to plug because I'm the the vice chair. Of oh, there you the go. Loudoun County Republican Club. So I uh, <laughs> hit up the Loudoun County Republican Club. But seriously, lots of churches. I know in the area, uh, large churches like, um, um, I just forgot the name of the church. I think it's called Heritage. <laughs> yeah, I think it's called Heritage uh, something or other. Anyway, it's in Leesburg, Ashburn. Uh, they... They like to help uh, the community make those decisions or at least have the information to make those Good decisions. Them, yeah. Voter guides are awesome. There are a ton of them available online, uh, a lot of polling data online. But the important thing is to go out and vote. <laughs> so May, May 21st is the primary. That's where we'll select the candidate. That's where you have an opportunity to select the person who will face Jennifer Wexton uh, in Virginia's 10th, and she's a tough candidate. She beat Alicia Andrews. Alicia Andrews is a Marine, uh, is a fiery mom, and she ran an incredible race and unfortunately uh, still lost. So we, we need to get out and vote. <laughs> that's that's step one, guys. Uh, and of course, the uh, the actual generals on November 8th. Uh, well, if we, and if you're, if you're not sure about getting out of vote, please listen to this uh, talk because I'm going to give you a bunch of reasons why you need to be out there to vote. All right, and that, voting, getting involved. That leads us to every Black Life Matters. So, so tell us about the group. Actually, tell us about yourself. But you, you are the the vice president of an important group. Um, so tell us about yourself, about your group, and and how you got well, involved. Well, I was born at a very early age in Ghana, in Africa. And I lived in Sudan, Yemen, Ethiopia, and Jamaica. Um, and my parents are originally from India, but I was born an African. In fact, my nickname was Kwame growing up. So I um, came to the States when I was about 18, after having grown up in the Middle East and, and Africa. And I was uh, I come from a very uh, strong line of Marxists. I shouldn't say line of Marxists, but a strong family of Marxists. I have three uncles who are very large, uh, were very active in the Marxist movement. Uh, one that ended up being chairman of the World Council of Churches, which is a very social justice liberation theology group. And so I, um, my background was uh, pretty socialistic. My dad was a communist and an atheist, uh, even though my grandfather was a Christian. And I have lots of Christians in the family, but many communists too. So I came to the States. I was a Christian, but I came to the States and I was very socialistic in intent. And um, 
didn't understand the difference between government and things like that. But I do. I knew I wanted to be an American because I loved what I saw in America. I didn't understand why it was there. I just loved, wanted to be part of it. But uh, I'm going to fast forward that part until uh, in in 2020 when um, we were watching BLM. Um, Somewhere along the line, obviously, I stopped being a Marxist and a socialist and started being a capitalist or a free market person, as I like to put it. Uh, and that was uh, that came after a lot of debates and arguments with people. Well, in 2020, we were watching BLM burn down different buildings. And uh, we noticed a friend of ours, uh, some friends were, who are Christians and should know better, were out there protesting with BLM. And my wife turned to me and she said, they don't know that BLM is a group of Marxists. They don't know that BLM uh, is actually doing everything wrong and not helping the African-American community. So uh, she said, you know, there needs to be an alternative to BLM. There needs to be a Christian version because people want to say, they want to show that they're not racist. And they think that the only avenue to do that is BLM. So this, she said, there needs to be an alternative. So she said, why don't you call your friend Kevin McGarry uh, and Kevin McGarry is the president of the Frederick Douglass Foundation in California, and he's part of the Frederick Douglass uh, and part of Douglass Leadership Institute, and very active politically, uh, and a hardcore conservative, hardcore believer. She said, "Why don't you call Kevin up and ask him to tell the Frederick Douglass Foundation to start something?" So I called Kevin up, and he said, "Yeah, that's a good idea." I said, "I said, you know, you guys really need to get on this, and do something." So Kevin calls the, you know, the, the Frederick Douglass Foundation in. Uh, in Washington, D.C., the leadership. And they say, you know, this is a great idea, but we here are way too busy to do something. You and Neil should start something. Well, so Kevin calls me back. And, you know, this is the old, you go to the pastor and say, you know, we really need a parking ministry. And the pastor says, well, you're hired. Well, that's what Pastor Dean Nelson did. Basically, he's the head of the Douglas, Frederick Douglass Foundation. He basically said, yeah, you're hired. And he said, uh, so, so Kevin calls me up and he says, hey, we have to do it. You and I have to do it. And and I and I said, Kevin, I don't think you've looked, but I'm not black. Uh, <laughs> and, and Kevin laughs and he says, No, but you're more African American than I am. And he said, Lucy, I have never. You know, Kevin says, Look, I, I'm black, but I've never been to Africa in my entire life. You've not only been to Africa; you were born there and you grew up there. So you're more African American than I am. And I said, Okay, that'll be fine. That's good enough. So we started uh, Every Black Life Matters. Uh, and the idea there was we wanted to be in the same lane as BLM. We wanted to be almost easily confused for BLM because if we, I mean, there's so many other good African-American organizations that could replace BLM, but people don't think of them when they think of a, re a replacement from BLM. So we want to be in the same lane. We want to be almost sounding so much alike that people go, oh, well, no, we don't want to support BLM. We want to support every Black Lives Matter. And so that was the foundation principles. Uh, that was the founding of uh, eBLM, as we could like to call it, in, in June. Actually, it was like September of 2020. That's, that's pretty funny. I, too, have experienced <laughs> sending a bright idea to the pastor, and they're like, great, you're hired. It's your ministry. Yeah, right? It's your thing. Uh, let us know what you need and how many people come. Uh, yeah, I, so, go ahead. I was just going to say, I like the messaging because it's it's what we need to do. You know, um, Paul sends uh, 
not Jonah. Uh, what is it? Titus. Paul sends Titus to Crete because it's a land where the truth is no longer true. And there are, and you know, his first mission is boom, get to the church leadership and say, Hey God, this is it. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And speak to the people. This is the truth. This is the guidestone. This is what we're supposed to be doing. And while our culture is inundated with lies, lies like, like this nation's institutionally racist, um, right. anti-immigration. We take in more immigrants than nations two through nine, I believe, combined. Yes. Yes. Um, so they, we're just inundated with truth. Uh, cops are racist, particularly against black people, and all of the data shows that cops are much more hesitant uh, in force-on-force yeah. encounters. with, So it's just lie after lie after lie, and this champion of lies rises through uh, BLM, uh, Antifa, some some of the worst of the worst, right. and they, they rose to notoriety seemingly overnight. They gained right. popularity. Their message was spread far and wide, and I see groups like you, and, and we just met at CPAC, just passing by. <laughs> you had on an awesome shirt. I had to, I had to say something. Uh, <laughs> And so, you, yeah. you were like a Titus, man. You guys are are coming to Crete and saying, hey, th- these are lies. We got to tear them down. Right, exactly. So so we looked through the BLM list and almost everything that BLM stood for was exactly the cause of black plight. Now, we all admit that there's black plight because if you look at the economic uh, uh, situation with the average black family, if you look at the educate, the literacy rate, and I'll talk about that briefly. But if you look at it, if you just go down, you would see that the African-American community is definitely under attack. Now, the question is, why is it so far behind everybody else? And this is the issue. If you start looking at BLM's principles, they're one, they're against nuclear family. Uh, they're against um, school choice. They're against, they're not pro-life in any way. They're for women's like true. They're against traditional marriage. And if you start working down through this uh, things, and this is what we, Kevin and I were discussing, is what are the real issues with African-American uh, with the African-American community and how do we solve them? And we looked at BLM and says, everything that they're for <laughs> is what we're against in a sense. And so if we go down our principles, the first one is we believe in real justice from womb to tomb. Because if you can't get out of the womb, how can you have any justice? And if you look at the statistics on that, it turns out that there are 44 million African-Americans today. There should be, sorry, there should have been, I just dropped my phone, uh, there should have been at least um, 64 million. So that means that we are missing 20 million African-Americans. Now, what does that mean? That means that 50% of all African-Americans have been killed before they could be born. I don't know any way you look at this, but if 50% of a demographic has been killed, that's genocide. And this is the pro-choice situation. Now, here's what's worse about that. That genocide has been funded by government funds. The government has paid for almost every one of those abortions. Why? Because Planned Parenthood is getting that money. Now, let's look at Planned Parenthood. Turns out that African-Americans are only 13% of the population, and yet 80%, 79% to be exact, of all African-American, sorry, of all Planned Parenthoods are within walking distance of an African-American community. Why is that the case? Why are they not equally distributed around everything else? No, they're why? Because they get the most amount of money. People say, well, no, because African-Americans need the most um, help. No, that's not true. They also get the most amount of money from them because you can see they're aborting them at 50% of the population. So that's number one. The second thing is 
we realized that um, people, kids need educational chores. What's happening, or so, well, let me actually, before I get that, let me get back to active fatherhood. Active fatherhood is our next thing. Why? Because African American uh, families turns out to have only a, a 70, something like 74% of all African American families have no father in the home. It's just a mother led, right? Or the father is not present. Now, this is this is horrible because this is not, I mean, if you compare that to the to the broken homes and, and other minorities, it's only like 24% are fatherless. But an African American is 74%. Now, now remember again, BLM's principles, they're against traditional family, <laughs> traditional marriage, they're against nuclear family. Well, but the question that we have to ask ourselves is why is there such a disparity? Well, it turns out this wasn't always the case. If you go back to 1970, in 1970, only 24% of African-American families had no father in the home. You went downtown, in fact, at the height of racism in the 1930s, it, it was even less than uh, 24% that had no father. So a majority, a vast majority, 80, 90% of them had fathers in the home. In fact, if you went down to any African-American uh, community in the 1930s at the height of racism, you'd see a father walking around with his kids, playing with his kids, sitting mm -hmm. on the porch, watching his kids. Today, if you go to, um, if you go to those uh, areas, you will see that there is no father there. Hang on, I seem to be getting a call or something, but um, let me just stop that. You know, what's <laughs> funny about that is uh, and, and this is something that prominent Black Americans have said, and no one cares. Larry Elder said it, Thomas Howell, and, you know, I highly encourage people to read, listen to, whatever you can get your hands on of Thomas Howell's, get your hands on it. Absolutely, but yeah. During actual slavery, you know, you had a higher chance as, as, as a Black American of being born to a two-parent home, and those parents were married, uh, yeah. Up into the 1890s, up into 1900, and you cannot tell me, you cannot tell Neil, you can't tell anyone but a very hate-filled leftist that we are more racist now than we were in the 1890s. Exactly, uh, but but it gets worse than that because in 19 in in 1970, I, I want to show you how there are racists, and maybe uh, this was a plan, right? In 1970, most African Americans voted. Republican. The Democrats in 1970 said, in fact, Lyndon Johnson said, I want those N-words to vote for me for the next two, vote for us for the next 200 years. And he said he was, he set about doing it. So he brings about, you know, his great welfare society. And in the great welfare society, if you are a mother without a father in the home, you get more money. Now, I always thought that this was just a natural consequence of Africans being lower income. And so they, more of them were we're collecting this money, but no, I was just talking to a lady in Chicago. She's about my age. And she said she remembers distinctly being in her aunt's house and her aunt getting a call, a phone call from a social worker, because before then they would have to come and visit you every month or so. And the social worker was saying, hide your husband's shoes or get rid of him because <laughs> you will get more money. And yeah. she said she would get these calls all the time and she would argue with the social worker saying, no, I'm not doing that. And the social worker was badgering her into saying, get rid of your husband because we'll get you more money. So they set out to break up the African-American family and they succeeded because from 1970, then it was a father's say it was about 24%. Today, it's about 74%. Now, what is the consequence of that fatherlessness? Well, first of all, 
Young women get more sexually active because they're looking for a male figure approval. Young men get involved in gangs, so they're looking for an older figure, male figure approval. Right Now, what do gangs do? Well, they got to do something, so they're going to go violence against other gangs. They're going to get into the drugs. They're going to get into crime. Right, So you get a, a community full. Now, there's no fathers around. So guess what? You've got crime. You've got violence. There's nobody set these boys straight. It's a natural consequence of that. Now, guess what happens? That infiltrates the public school systems. So the public school systems are not working. Did you know in the 1930s, African-American literacy rate in the 1930s, height of racism was 70 to 80 percent. Today, that's, that's literacy rate. That's literacy. who can read. Who can read in yeah. a way that they can actually yeah. have a job or something, right? Now, yeah, I know where the, you're literacy, the literacy rate, if you're lucky today in the inner city, is 18%. That means 82% of all those kids are graduating. They can't read or write worth in, in a way that they can get a job. So now those schools are failing those kids. Now, as those kids, schools are failing those kids, it turns out 68% of African-American parents want vouchers so they can take those kids out of those failing public schools and send them to another school. But the Democrats and the unions won't let that happen. Who's the racist now? Right? Who's the one that hates black people so much that they know every time school vouchers have been implemented, they've worked? Who's the racist now? Who's the one who says and we hate black people so much that we're not going to let them improve their life and get better education, get a better job? And naturally, that results in what? That results in, in unemployment rates, sky high unemployment rates, which feeds into the cycle of depression and cycle of violence and cycle of fatherlessness and cycle of the government taking care and the cycle of abortion. It's all right there. And then here's where they make, and then they say, okay, we're going to make it even worse for you black people. The minimum wage. I don't know if many people know this, but the minimum wage was created by the KKK. See, let's go back to the 1930s. 1930s, why were African-Americans doing so well, even though racism and Jim Crow laws and all that was it? It's because black men would go to a racist owner of a business, let's say he's a construction guy, and says, look, I will lift your, I will carry your, your, your bricks for half the price of the white man. Now, you're a racist owner, right? You're like, I'm a racist. I don't like black people, but I like money. I'm going to hire this poor black guy who's going to do the job for half the price of this guy. So guess what that black guy does? He learns how to do the construction job. He learns how to do all these things. He grows in his skills. He does his, starts his own construction thing amongst the black community. He starts his own, in fact, the black community. I was just talking to uh, Clarence. He was one of the guys who sat at the counter in Woolworths. Uh, we had an interview with him. If you want to go to eblm, uh, everyblm.com and look up that interview with him. And he says their communities were thriving because all that education, all that experience was coming back into the communities. They had doctors, they had dentists. In fact, did you know that of uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the 1930s or 1930s, yes. in that time, six of the airplanes, six of the airplanes were owned by black people. There were more millionaires they, per, they per square mile. Something they called it um, in Tulsa, Black Wall Street. Black, black Wall Street, Broadway, right? Black Wall Street, yeah. yeah. Until the racists came and burned Oklahoma it down. I lived in for six years. Yeah, I learned right. about that. Yeah. 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 So the racists came and burned it down. But who were the racists? The Democrats and the KKK. Well. <laughs> So here's what the problem was. The problem was the black men were taking white men's jobs. And so guess what? The, the KKK comes up and the racists come up and they say, look, you know, we can't have this happen. We can't have black people taking white men's jobs. We've got to start a way to stop them. What's the best way to start? Have a minimum wage. And guess what? The minimum wage was precisely the amount of money that white people were making. So now you go to this racist 
business owner and says, I'll work for half because I can't hire you. So why would I hire you? I'll just hire a white person. I like white people anyway. And that's where the minimum wage law came into place. And it's been there ever since. And today, the minimum wage, as Thomas Searle says, the effective minimum wage for black kids is zero because they're not going to get hired with an 18% literacy rate. They're not going to get hired when they don't know anything. They're not going to get hired because then they can't earn $15 an hour. And it may take them months to get to that $16 an hour. Why are they going to be hired? They're going to hire only the white kids who have, can read and write. Right? So this is, again, another racist policy. And if you see all these things come back to who's behind all of this? Is there racism today? Absolutely. But where is it concentrated? It's not in the Republican Party. It's not in the conservatives. It's in the progressives and the liberals. Yeah, they don't even see it. They don't comprehend it. But Neil just laid out the whole case. A <laughs> hundred years worth of facts. <laughs> Here's... So Here's what sucks, because so much of what you're saying, and we we live in this, we're we're in it, we've got our fingers, and we like digging in the research and learning and hearing the stories. That literacy rate is incredibly damaging. You you take away someone's ability when they should have been learning, they should have been being educated. The second, the third, the fourth order effects of that are huge, oh, horribly huge. Yeah. And and they were men like Booker T. Washington, Frederick Douglass, you know, who, who started out a slave and ended up in the federal Congress. These yeah. men taught themselves how to read. And, and that's yeah. tough. And hats off to them. But Americans now, young, everyone, young white men and women, young black men and women, Asian, whatever, it should not be so that you need to teach yourself how to read in the United States of America. Yeah. And those literacy rates... I can illiteracy rates. I cannot yeah. believe are accidental. Um, I believe that they're by design. There is a direct correlation between the establishment and the the prominence of the Federal Department of Education and the decline of education by every measurable yeah. metric. Yeah, Again, dem Democrats and, and not just regular yeah. Democrats, but real leftist, real yeah. well, I mean, progressives. Yeah, the average Democrat has no idea, but they blindly follow those principles. Now, by the way, all this is in the book I wrote with my daughter. We wrote a book that explains all this to eight-year-olds. My daughter was eight, and we came up, we wrote this book together. It's called Does Every Black Life Matter? And you can get it on Amazon by Neil Mommen and Charlotte Mommen. So does every black life matter? Yeah, there it is. And uh, great. It's a, We wrote it for kids, but adults have said, oh, they love the book, and they've been handing it out to their friends. But it's also great for your kids to understand what the real issue is. So it's so. not up now, but links to this book and another book that we're going to talk about in a moment uh, will be under our faces and also uh, in the description. Of, if you're listening on podcasts, you can you can find uh, Neil. You can find uh, everyblm.com. Check out what they're about and, and both of the books that we're going to talk about. Uh, links you can just click and buy which is an awesome way to support the show and support Neil and what he's doing. Yep. yep. So, um, so that was, so that's pretty much uh, the, and by the way, this is really effective. If you ever run into a BLM, BLMer, this is really effective. Now, of course, I'm not talking about the Antifa guys who want to burn down things, but if you, if you run into a random BLMer wearing the BLM shirt, you should ask them. And this is the way we approach it. We say, excuse me, does every black life matter to you? And they'll say yes, because they're not going to say yes. And they'll say, well, 
did you know that um, because of the welfare laws the way they are, uh, African-American um, fatherlessness has risen from 20% at the height of racism to 74% now, and it's all because of the welfare laws. Don't you think those fatherless kids' black lives matter? And of course, they're going to say yes. And then we say, you know, and then we talk about the value. We say, well, because of the fatherlessness, it leads to gangs, it leads to violence, it leads to uh, black schools, it leads to the high crime rate, it leads to them going to prison. But most of all, it leads to bad schools. And so the literacy rate has gone down to 18%. Do those kill children, black lives matter to you? And of course, they're going to say yes. And then you say, well, and then you say, well, you know, did you know that there are 44 million African Americans today? There should have been 64 million, half of them. 50% of them, 20 million of them have been killed in the womb. And I don't know whether, I don't care whether you're pro-life or pro-choice, but surely you should be against the genocide of a, of a ethnic group like the black community here. And of course, they, you know, so do those baby black lives matter? To you? And of course, they're going to say yes. And then, then we say, you know, the minimum wage was started by racists, by the KKK, to stop black men from taking white men's jobs. And today, a $15 minimum wage is hurting African-American kids who don't have a, a high literacy rate, so they can never earn that. So do you think those jobless black lives matter to you? And of course, they're going to say yes. And then you say, well, in that case, you really agree with us, with every black life matters, and not with BLM. And it changes the whole dynamic. We call it the Aikido move. Um, you know, Aikido is this uh, martial arts where you take the force of the enemy and you actually redirect it away in a way that doesn't hurt you or them. And so we're trying to help them to keep their dignity. Yeah, you care about black people. We understand that. We're going to keep your dignity, but we're going to redirect your force into the proper way. And we're going to say, look. So, <laughs> maybe don't go with uh, Casey Gates' question here. It's good. but uh, And Casey, thanks for joining us, brother. I haven't seen you in a while. Because, well, I haven't been on YouTube in a while, actually. It's the first time I've been on YouTube in, in weeks. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> can, you read, can you read the question it, to me? Because I can't has, see it. It says, has BLM done anything positive for the black community? <laughs> no, Answer, but no. Yes, it has. You know what? It has. It has. It has given four of the black community million-dollar homes. <laughs> it's helped four people <laughs> in the black community. <laughs> he says he prefers Judo Chop. Uh, but, uh, yeah, that's true. Those beachfront properties uh, it must, must be nice. Um, you know... The the interest you mentioned LBJ. The interesting thing is, one they said the quiet part out loud. That was a direct quote. We'll have these n words yeah. written Democrat for the yep. next hundred years or whatever. But here's the thing. Here's how you're like, oh, it was a risk. How they knew it was going to work. They knew it was going to work. They tackled this like a business problem. Like they were the CEO and the executive leadership, mm -hmm. and they were like, this is our strategic vision. They did polls. They sent out door knockers and knocked doors while uh, black husbands, um, you know, because this is back when when everyone married the mother of their children. Yeah. Um, it's a major factor in economic outcome. Uh, but right. we, we can get to that. They went out. They waited for these men to go to work and they pulled women at home. Would basically would you trade your marriage? Would you trade having the man in the house for X amount of money? And they came oh. back until they found out what the amount was, what the welfare had to be, so they could be married to the government and and abandon their responsibilities. That is great. That's it's LBJ did. This is an empirical fact, as wow. the internet says. The receipts are there. 
Oh, I need to find you need to send me that information because that is great. Oh, I've got to connect you with. I've got to know so, the people I gotta connect you with, Scott Minio. No, that he, is he so knows. that is so demonic. That is so but you're right as a business. They didn't like, do it as a theory. They no. they they had a hypothesis and they researched before they executed. And I gotta tell you guys, looking at the welfare state, it was executed flawlessly. I don't yep. know if you know, but most blacks vote Democrat just blindly, uh, and most uh, most uh, single moms are married to the government, where they're their yep. uh, the breadwinner in their house is Congress, is, is tax dollars and, yep. and welfare programs, and it's devastating. And and they it and what's hurtful is, and this is where this is where you could get into the matrix where Morpheus is explaining things to Neo, um, and he never says the line, this is the Mandela effect. Morpheus never says, what if I told you everything you believe is a lie? He, instead, he built up the narrative and said, they've put you in the worst of cages, a cage that you can't taste or touch or smell or see, but a psychological cage. And newsflash, that is what the left has done to the modern black American or even the modern poor American, because there are a lot of white families swept up in these poverty yep. cycles as yep. well. But yep. the attack started the way that Neil laid out as as a racist effort against black Americans. And yep. we are getting crushed. We're getting crushed. I'm gonna kick it back to you, Neil. You're you're on fire. <laughs> well, no, I don't sorry, I my my stand keeps falling off, but the uh, the reality is, hang on a second. All right, I think we're frozen here. So if you're just joining, we're on with Neil Mammon. Uh, and he is the vice president of Every Black Life Matters. EveryBLM.com is the website. Uh, I think he's getting his phone situated. But while we're waiting for him to come back, head on over to their website and check out what they are all about. You can also check out Neil's uh, books, Does Every Black Life Matter? A Primer. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. If you shop Amazon, he's also got another book called Jesus is Involved in Politics. Uh, why aren't you? Why isn't your church? The subtitle on those, uh, which is really interesting because I uh, interviewed a, uh, a gentleman named Gary Binford. And one of the things that he said is God has an opinion about everything. Okay. All here right, we go. Neil, you're I don't back. Know how I, I lost was, you. Just suddenly I was showing off your uh, your books there. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, no problem at all. That's one of the problems when you do it in your car. You're uh, usually I'm in my office and I got everything else set up. But yeah, so um, the the reality is that until the African American and the white community realize. What is going on? The Democrats and the progressives are going to be able to continue with their lives and they're going to continue with their manipulation of the African-American family. And so this is very important for all of us. Even if you're not black and you're listening to this, it's important that you get this information out to your friends, to everyone you know. It's important that you communicate this to 
people, even conservatives, because, you know, maybe the conservatives agree with you, but they don't know the argument. They don't know the reason. They don't know how to explain it. And it's important that we get these facts out, because until these facts are out, people are just going to assume what they always say is that the Republicans are racist. And here's how you have to understand it. It's very hard to convince someone that you are against, you are for them when you're trying to tell them that you shouldn't be giving them more money, right? But the reality is that's exactly what we're saying. We're saying, look, we want you to be self-sufficient, but here's how you get there. Now, let me explain how we get there, though, by the way. Um, we don't get there overnight by cutting welfare and all that. We get there by slowly removing the dependencies. We give school choice. We stop uh, rewarding fatherlessness. And let me explain how we stop rewarding fatherlessness. You know, we all agree that the church should be providing um, welfare, not the government. The government's horrible at welfare. For every dollar you give to the government, maybe 15 cents gets to the poorer person. And every dollar you give a charity, 85 cents will get to a poorest person. So charities are actually six times more efficient. We get that. But here's the problem. Right now, if you're a welfare mom, you get more money if the father's not around. I can't in good conscience say, no, you're going to get less money now. Here's how we fix it. If there's a father in the home, you should get more money. Simple as that, right? We redo all the equations and we reward fatherhood. We reward the father being in the home and eventually we tone it down. And I want to see the argument. Republicans go up and say, hey, we want to give more money to a welfare recipient if there is a father in the home, a married father of the kids and married, actually married, there's a certificate of marriage and they're married to the father of kids uh, and they're in the home, they actually get more money. And the Democrats say, no, we don't want that. Who's the racist now? You're trying to take money away from the black people. And we're saying, no, this is the way we're going to give you more money for it. And eventually we'll tone that up because guess what? As that father moves into the house, guess what? The economy will start doing better. The schools will start doing better. Everybody will start doing better. And the welfare rolls will go down naturally. They don't want to do that. They, no, they don't. They do but that's a battle we can win. That, that that's a battle like Republican win. That sounds like a pro-family, pro, uh, pro-nuclear family, pro-marriage, pro-sanctity alive. That that's like a, a that's like a bomb to them. <laughs> that's like the so anti. So I'm waiting for that senator or representative to suggest a Republican to go in and suggest that, and then make it happen. Yeah. He's a great guy. Um, I, I I knew he wasn't gonna win the nomination, but Ben Carson. Yes, out and advocates for a lot of what you just said. It's in two or three of the books of his. Um, I only have two, um, One Nation, and I think the other one is called, um, I forget what it's called. Him and his wife wrote a couple of political books. Um, but he says the goody fountain. He says we got to turn off the, the goody fountain. Um, same thing with the college debt. You know, If we're going to say it's yeah. a student loan crisis, how does it make sense that we're still giving out you know, we're still causing the trauma. <laughs> like, but, right. You know, the, the first thing is, you know, stop, stop doing it. Uh, everyone so, in the comments is saying, you know, the, the fatherlessness. Uh, what about that? That's where if you came in late, that's where Neil started. That's that was issue number one um, is, is the fatherlessness. If you miss that, he agrees. I agree. We agree. Yep. Um, and and good night. In that, we also need 
you know, there are biological differences. We need men to be men. As simple as it sounds, man up, you know, Um, marry the woman that you are so interested in that you're willing to have an intimate relationship with her. Marry that woman. Get married. Get a job. I can... I tell you, there's nothing as a father, there is nothing more rewarding than to be a father. It's just the most, there's no job you could have. There's no role you could have. There is nothing you can do that's more rewarding than being a father and raising up those young men and women in the Lord or whatever. Uh, I, to me, it better be in the Lord because that's the best way of doing it. Uh, and, and I can prove that too. <laughs> but you bring up a young man and woman in the Lord and you will, you know, I, I have this discussion a lot of times. I, I, my, my wife, before we got married, she said, I want you to know that I'm going to be a mom. And I said, well, I want you to be a mom. And I agree, we, we agree on this. And I said, and she said, let me explain why. I could get a job and I could influence maybe 20, 30 people for a few years of their life. And that's it. I'll just be an influence and they'll move on. Or I can shape three, four, five, one, two people for their entire life and reap that and their destiny will be determined by how good a mom I was. She said, that's a much more powerful thing to do with my life than to be some employee, some person working in a company, whatever. That's far more significant in eternity than anything I could do at the job. And it's not 100% uh, true. Sounds like someone who takes their responsibility as a parent seriously. Yep, sure <laughs> does. Good on there. Now this, and, and get this. She used to be a public school student. <laughs> I mean, a, a public school uh, teacher. teacher. She worked for seven, 10 years as a public school teacher. And then when we had our first child, she quit, came a full home, and now we homeschool. <laughs> nice. My wife has a degree. Um, and she's she's a brilliantly talented musician, and but she uh, she was homeschooled, and her four siblings, I was public schooled, and my five siblings. But she always wanted to, when we had kids, she wanted to be a mom. She wanted to stay yeah. home. She will. We have four kids now. She homeschools the two older yeah. ones, and then um, and and it's incredible. And if you, but I mean, and many women want that career, and you can certainly have that career. Again, some people can't afford it. Where if you live in a certain part of the country, both have to work. Although I would recommend if you can move to a place where only one one needs to work. But if you can, I understand that. But my wife will probably go back to being a public school teacher when this is all done. And as I say, we don't want to send our kids to public school, but we want to send our generals and our soldiers to public school, right? Yeah. We want to control yeah. the public schools, but we want to be. We don't want to be the Cannon fodder for the public schools. So here's the thing on the recipe for success. Like, so yeah, our, our wives stay at home and take care of kids. And no, you don't have to do that. There, there are four things. No study is going to refute this, whether it's from right wing, left wing. Um, and some genuine liberals don't refute this. There are only four things you need to do to be successful. Uh, And I already know that Neil knows them, but you need to have a high school education that can be satisfied by a GED. You can graduate in 10th grade or drop out in 10th grade and take that test. If you can pass the GED test, you don't even need a high school diploma. You need a high school education. You need to get a job. You need to work and save money. You need to be spending less than you make. And you need to be married before you have kids. Before the child is born, 
You can knock up, yeah, you can knock up your girlfriend and get married before the child is born and the data shows, well, that's not what I would recommend, but the data shows that you are still in the sweet spot. And guys and girls, men and women out there, you are not willing to do those four things. And that is on you. That takes a little bit of discipline. That takes some resolve. That takes living up to your, your uh, not requirements, like living up to your commitments, your responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, and that's whether you're black, white, Asian. Doesn't matter what you are, yeah. Yeah. Now, I want to. And I the government doesn't want you to do those four no, things. No, of course. Ahead, the government yeah. wants you to be. Eternal slave, free labor, yeah. free voting labor, whatever, right? Um, so now I want to switch topics to the, so I want to give Christians, we talked briefly at the beginning about Christians being uh, uh, involved in politics. So, um, and I want to give people, most of the people watching the show probably realize they need to. And because I introduced this by being, uh, talking about uh, Sarah Cody, our draconian tyrant health officer here that we're protesting against. So, um, a few years ago, I ran into a pastor and a bunch of people who said that Christians should not be involved in politics. That's none of our business. We should not be of worldly things. And my answer to them was quite simply this. Oh, I see you believe in child prostitution. Now, they looked at me in shock and they said, no, I don't believe in child prostitution. I said, yes, you do. They said, no, we don't. I said, not only do you believe in child prostitution, you also believe in temple prostitution and gladiatorial combat. They're like, what? No, of course we don't. I said, yeah, you also believe in kidnapping brides, immolation of widows, superstitious killing of twins, uh, unfair treatment of prisoners, and being and cruel, being cruel to animals. They're like, what? I said, you know what? Here's you believe in all that. Let me explain why you believe in all that. Because every single one of those laws and thousands of others throughout history were are only there because a Christian got involved in politics and changed the laws. Now, if you don't think you should be involved in politics, you're saying child prostitution, temple child prostitution, abandonment of children in the wild, abandonment of elders in the wild, killing, superstitious killing of twins, gladiatorial games, death games, racism, slavery should all be legal. And then I've gotten this. They said, well, we just need to preach the gospel. I said, that is not an excuse. I said, let me tell you why that's not an excuse and why that does not work. You see, the gospel is preached every day in two of the most Christian nations in the world for 200 years, that's England and the United States. Every day for 200 years in the most Christian nations in the world and slavery still continued. It wasn't until men and women of God said, we have to stop this. It wasn't until Thomas Clarkson and Wilbur Wilberforce and Pastor John Newton and his church, St. Mary's of Woolnock, got together and said, we have to stop slavery, that slavery was stopping in England. And that came to America, and that movement came to America, and it wasn't until a group of men and women got together and met in a church and founded the very first party that would stop slavery called the Republican Party. And then slavery was stopped in America. Don't give me that nonsense that we're preaching the gospel, isn't it? That's a perfect, I couldn't agree more, and that is a perfect segue into another book plug. Uh, so tell us, tell us about this book um, that you you wrote. This one with your daughter, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, that was the other one. So this is the one I wrote first. So this book, the book you're talking about, is Jesus is involved in politics. Why aren't you wise in your church? And I wrote that as a frustrated American immigrant. I, you know, it took me. I was born in Ghana. I came here. It took me 12 years to become a U.S. citizen. And even though I was a Marxist at the beginning, by the time I became a U.S. citizen. I was a hardcore free market conservative. 
I'd lost a lot of arguments with my conservative friends. And I said, well, I'm an engineer and a scientist. Said this actually makes sense. And so I started talking about it. And the more I talked about it, the more I realized that Americans are not involved in politics. In fact, if the statistics are right, there are about 60 to 70 million Christians, evangelical Christians in America, 60 to 70 million. And yet in any given election, any given election, only 25 million of them vote. Folks, the reason our country is going to purgatory in a handbag is because us Christians are not involved politically. We're not involved in legislation. And then as we've seen in Nazi Germany, when Christians abdicated their role in government, guess what Nazi Germany did? It went back to their pagan roots. And that's what's happening. In fact, we were just in the Sacramento. AB 2223 in Sacramento is a law that is about to be passed, okay? And and there were maybe 3,000 Christians there. Why were there only 3,000? There should have been 3 million Christians there in the Sacramento capital. Why? Because that law says you can kill a baby up to a month after it's born and the police cannot investigate you. I can hear the fires of Moloch being turned up to turn up the idol's hands. You know what they would do? They would take the babies and they would sacrifice them on the burning hot uh, arms of uh, the, the idol Moloch and they would have drums going really loud so the baby screams could not be heard. And where are the pastors? Where are the pastors? Why are they not all three million? There are at least, what, 10 million Christians here in, in California. Why aren't at least 3 million of us up in Sacramento saying, this will not happen, this is not going to happen, we're not going to let you kill a baby 30 days after it's born? Man, we're, we're done. The sermon now, again, I agree. We, we, we spoke about this a little bit before, but um, a radio show host, a friend of mine, Gary Benford, Man, he, he crushed it with the line on my show one time. It just rung and rung and rung in my head. God has an opinion about everything. You Christians Amen. that are saying, oh, we shouldn't be involved with that. God has an opinion about racism. God has an opinion about uh, sanctity of life. God has an opinion about use of force, about wars, about borders. God has an opinion about everything. We have nations because God created people and gave land to them. That's why we yep. have nations. That's why we have borders. That's why we have God is over government. The, the government's Absolutely. a man who's been instituted by God. That's what in the Bible that I have, that's what it says. So, <laughs> so you can't say I'm a Christian, so I, I, I got my get-out-of-hell-free card, and I got my don't-need-to-have-an-opinion-about-anything-cultural-or-political. That is nonsense. And a Absolutely. lot of you God, haven't God. spent enough time in the book to know what God's opinions are, and that's another problem. That's true, and God will hold you responsible. God will hold you responsible. He held the children of Israel responsible for sacrificing idols or not getting or not stopping the sacrifice of babies to idols and not stopping the sacri the, the oppression of the innocents. He, he stepped in and he said, I'm going to send you to Babylon for 70 years of exile. Right. And oh, guess what? Yeah. Everybody went to Babylon, right? The good and the bad, and and you know, every good people were killed, bad people were killed. When God judges a nation. Everybody gets hurt. And so it's important for us Christians who are active in politics to get our neighbors active in politics. It's important for Christians who uh, aren't active in politics to realize that the judgment of God is going to fall upon their heads. Because if we are passive when this is going on, 
God has shown that he judges people in the Bible. And how dare you say that God doesn't care about slavery and racism? How dare you say God does not care about babies being killed after they're being born? Uh, what sort, I mean, yeah, I don't know. Words fail me. <laughs> yeah. Hey, God, yeah, if you're not reading the Bible, it's it's an amazing story. God was the first dad to pull over the vehicle and say, we're not going to turn the thing around. Because the, you know, the children of Israel, they went out. He said, go to the promised land. They started complaining immediately, bickering in the backseat. And he said, that's it. The trip is canceled. <laughs> you're going to spend 40 <laughs> no. years in the oppression of wilderness. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, none of you are getting to go. Um, but good night. Uh, so... Hey, this this has been a lot of fun. I'm gonna uh, plug the website here, and Neil, I'm I'm gonna give you the last word to just uh, 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 tell people uh, what you want to hear. But again, uh, it's gonna be right down here under where our heads are, or in the podcast notes in the description and in the show notes if you're listening on podcast uh, platforms. Uh, but the website is everyblm.com. Go check it out. Um, we've got. Do I still have that banner? Uh, you can go and get uh, Neil's books on Amazon. You can get this one. You know, go to the website. It's JesusIsInvolvedInPolitics.com. Uh, it's on the screen. It'll be in the description below just after the show. If you're still watching the show, then you enjoyed it. So go to my website. And in, in honor of Neil, this is the, the perfect things. I'm wearing one of these shirts now. I've got a Martin Luther King uh, junior line. This is one that I'm wearing right now. Oh, I love uh, it. King, King versus Kendi, where obviously Martin Luther King advocated for content of character, but the the uh, ever popular Ibram X Kendi, <laughs> who isn't his real name like Ralph or Lawrence or something lame. Uh, but anyway, uh, believes that all whites are racist. If you're if you're a fan of uh, hurting Marxist <laughs> feelings, we've got. Uh, the same ones, King versus Clown with uh, Karl Marx there. Uh, lots of lots of really cool shirts. They are Bell and Canvas shirts. They're the softest shirts that you'll get, and they're very reasonably priced. And you can get all that on my website, thejimmerlyshow.com. Um, if you trade me your email, you'll get a discount. But if you're listening, you don't even need to trade me uh, your email. Just type in uh, code NOCRT for me. Uh, or freedom uh, for ten percent off. Uh, Neil, good sir, you you get the last word. Thanks so much for coming on the show, um, and just uh, tell people how to get in touch with you and just any final thoughts. Yeah, so Jesus is involved in politics and every BLM.com. But let me leave you with this: we are responsible for saving America. People, when I first came to America. As a young, as a, you know, to go to college, uh, people were like, oh, America, it's it's always been selling. It'll always be powerful, it'll always be there. But remember this, nations die. History is littered with their bones. Nations die. History is littered with their bones. So if you look around you and you realize that this nation is dying, there is a way. Israel was brought from the brink of disaster multiple times by godly men and women. You know, they were active. They got involved in politics. They turned the, the word of the kings around, they redirected them. And even if you go back to the time of the Republic of Israel with the judges and all that, you see that there are many good people who stepped up and stepped in. And so that's what we need to do. We need to stand in line and we need to teach our kids these things. We have to teach our kids 
all these things. And the Bible talks about it. You go back to um, the whole institution of the Republic and by Jethro and Moses, it says, you need to teach your children all these things. And if we're not teaching our children these things, then they are not going to carry it on to the next generation and America will die. Man, that's uh, I don't know if that's good news or bad news. It's like a little bit of both. <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, so again, guys, we're chatting with Neil Malman, uh, uh, VP of every BLM, every Black Life Matters. Awesome time. Awesome show. Can't thank you enough for being on. And uh, listeners, can't thank you enough for, for joining us. Have a good night. Thank you, brother. God bless. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.